You're listening to the Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk. Our guest today is the Governor General of Canada, His Excellency the Right Honorable David Johnston, who this week is visiting the United States on an official visit that has taken him from Georgia, Florida, today Dallas, and tomorrow Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma, where he in his capacity as Commander-in-Chief of Canada's Armed Forces will be attending a Memorial Day celebrations along with members from the 552nd Air Control Wing detached to NORAD. Thank you, sir, for joining us. What a delight to be with you, Jim. You know, I'm afraid to say that probably most Americans aren't really familiar about the role of Governor General. I don't think we have an equivalent position here. Tell us about what you do. Well, we divide the function of head of government and head of state in our country. The head of government is responsible for the business of government, elected officials and so on. I am the Queen's representative. She is our head of state, Queen Elizabeth, her representative in Canada. And as uh, the representative of the head of state, I have more to do with, I think, the spirit of government, the fundamental values of Canadian, the Canadian Constitution, and connecting, honoring, and inspiring Canadians' communities across the country. You know, during your visit here to Texas and to the other states that I mentioned, you've talked about the importance of trade linkages between the states you visited and Canada. And there certainly has been a lot of talk about trade, and particularly the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and it's become quite contentious. Why is international trade important in your view? And why should it matter, particularly at this time, to North Americans? Well, I guess the trade observation is we live in a very globalized world that's becoming more globalized. The Trans-Pacific Partnership is currently under review by our parliament. It was assigned by a previous government election last October, so that review is ongoing as we speak. International trade has been a very important part of Canada. I guess going right back to the very beginning, we often summarize the first 300 to 400 years of Canadian history as fish, fur, and the faith. The faith being what it is, and fish and fur was what we were exporting to Europe. The last 15 or 20 years, I think Canada has been conscious of the fact that we are among the most substantial trading nations in the world. Supply chains are much more complex than they used to be and that we must be very adept in striking trade relationships. So Trans-Pacific Partnership is the most recent one. We signed an agreement with the European Union, which is currently going through the process of ratification. For us in Canada, the North American Free Trade Agreement came out of the Canada-U.S. Trade Agreement, which came out of a Canada-U.S. Automobile Agreement. It's been propitious for Canada. We've more than doubled our trade in the period it's here. What we're seeing about with the new agreements, though, is they go beyond trade and services, and they look at some of the more difficult aspects of trade, intellectual property rights, uh, trade barriers that exist, dispute resolution, all with a view to helping a particular nation prosper by engaging with other nations where deals add up to a positive for both sides. I mentioned you're heading to Tinker Air Force Base tomorrow. I think our listeners across the country would be uh, quite astonished by the scope of the military relationship between our two countries. Could you elaborate on that? Well, it's been a long one, of course, going back to World War I and World War II. When we were in war in World War I when the UK declared war in 1914. In 1939, we entered uh, two days after the UK declared war in September 1st of 1939. So that was our response at that time. Our colleagues in the United States came into both wars somewhat later. Prior to the entry of the U.S. into the war, there was a very close supply chain uh, between Canada and the United States. And of course, when the U.S. entered those wars, again, there was a very closely coordinated relationship with respect to uh, ships across the Atlantic Ocean, developing partnerships in terms of production of munitions, airplanes especially, ferrying them across, and then uh, fighting together under joint command. In the 60 years that we've had NORAD, North American Advanced uh, Defense, and we'll be celebrating that relationship in Oklahoma City and then later in Denver, we have actually worked under joint command. So in Denver, the NORAD Airborne Unit 
there is under command of a, a U.S. commanding officer, and the deputy commanding officer is Canadian. At North Bay, Ontario, where I was three months or so ago, the equivalent on a smaller scale is a joint command with a Canadian commanding officer and then a U.S. deputy commander. And I think that illustrates how well our two nations have partnered with respect to the North American defense and in other venues around the world, perhaps not with the same degree of intensity, but with the same degree of the spirit of collaboration. I agree with you, but at times do you feel that perhaps the United States and Canada just take the relationship for, for granted and are we becoming just complacent about it? I would agree. In fact, I think the greatest danger that we have in Canada is being complacent about all of our relationships, but especially the one with the United States not simply on the military side, but on so many different aspects. And, you know, we, we have a relationship which I think is quite unique in the world. I do not know of two nations that have developed a better rapport than Canada and the United States over the last 200 years. And when you have a, a friendship that is that good, you know, rather than taking it for granted, I say to my Canadian colleagues, you work every day to make it better. This Sounds is like a marriage. It is. And, and good marriages take work. They don't just happen. If you want them to last, you work at them. This is my sixth visit as Governor General to the United States. And I guess if I had my druthers, it would be 60, not six. You know, I had the privilege of reading a book, and I think you've written uh, 25 books and authors. So this book just came out last month. It's called The Idea of Canada, Letters to a Nation. And several of the letters that you wrote spoke about Canada as a caring nation. And if I may, you know, President Obama made a pledge to accept 10,000 Syrian refugees by the end of 2016, and yet we're running way behind that goal. Your country has already accepted 25,000. Why were you able to do that? And why, in my view, at least on that issue, Canada seems to be particularly caring? I guess I would say about, about the Canadian situation, what pleased me about that it was grassroots. I mean, it was led to by a newly elected government. But the response that was most overwhelming was the communities upon communities. I was in Oakville, Ontario about four months ago celebrating the work of 30 or 40 different community groups on welcoming Syrian refugees in that community near Toronto. There were 600 different institutions represented in the room, and the opening prayer was spoken by four people, an Anglican fiscal minister, a Roman Catholic priest, a Jewish rabbi, and a Islamic imam from the mosque. And when they finished the prayer, I had the chance to speak, and I said, you know, it's wonderful that we've heard from these people from different traditions with a common prayer, but do you know that therefore churches, synagogues, mosques have been together in sponsoring a couple of families? Not the individual church or mosque, but together they've done it. Mm -hmm. and that's very symbolic and very attractive. I think the reason we've seen this in Canada is we have been a nation of immigrants from the very beginning, starting with our first indigenous people that came here 10,000 years ago. But it's been wave upon wave of immigration, and we have seen immigration as such an important addition to the energy and to the creativity of Canadians with each succeeding generation. And out of that has come a sense of helping one's neighbor. I refer to barn raising. When a newcomer came to a rural community, the neighbors would gather around and say... And I think that happened in Texas a lot. It did indeed. <laughs> a similar phenomenon. Over two weekends or three weekends, we will sure. help We build your barn and you've got that looked after, and then we'll help you a bit with clearing your fields. That continues to the modern day with the barn raising analogy, and I think that's what we saw playing with the Syrian refugees. The other thing I would say is that unlike almost all of Canadian immigrants who are usually chosen on the basis of that they will be successful clearly when they get here, and very often high levels of education, these are families who are the most vulnerable. Our people have gone into the camps and looked for really vulnerable families, not bringing into the country single males, but usually families, and families usually with some very 
substantial challenges in, in front of them and to help them make a new start in this country. And we do that, I think, because it comes out of the nature of the country and it's part of the, the notion of smart and caring, which I hope can become a part of the DNA and what make Canadians have some special qualities. Well, it's certainly something we admire. I want to thank you so much for being here. You've been listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk. Our guest today has been the Right Honourable David Johnston. He's the Governor General of Canada. To learn more about a World Affairs Council in your community, go to worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Thanks for listening.